do our Facebook page. So if you're used to going online for Facebook, we apparently we had a Facebook page in the Calvary Springfield in, the, in a, it's supposed to only be a person's name, not an organization, and we were doing it wrong, and so they locked us out of it yesterday. We went to post the, the you know, service times and everything, and your page is gone. Well, thank you very much. Can't get to it. So we created a whole new page, organization page, and so now you can access that. If by some chance we have to cancel the baptism, it'll be posted on that, but hopefully we will not have to cancel it. And so just wanted you to know that ahead of time. So Titus chapter 2, Apostle Paul in his letter to Titus writes this, starting in verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, and all things show yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. The title of my study this morning is The Qualities of a Sound Church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together to be able to open up your word and know, Lord God, that you plan to talk to our hearts, to speak to us, Lord, in the areas in our lives that we need to hear from you this morning. And so, Lord, we are open to receive all that you have for us. Lord, we pray that you would bless our time together. We pray that you'd bless the children's time together downstairs as, as they're taught your word. Lord, the youth as they're taught your word. Lord, that we would all hear from you this morning. That's our desire. That's our prayer. Father, we also pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to commit their lives to you. They're not born again this morning. Lord, that they would give their life to you today. They would see their need for their Savior. For you, Lord. And so we just pray for that. We pray that you'd bless our time. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I found a story about a woman who went to a doctor because both of her ears were severely burned. And the doctor looked at her and said, Ma'am, I've never in all my years of practice seen anything quite like this. Please tell me, how did you burn your ears? She said, Well, doctor, I was ironing. I was a little distracted. I was watching television, and suddenly the telephone rang. I answered the iron instead of the telephone and burned my right ear. Well, the doctor was shocked. Uh, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's horrible. But how did you burn your left ear? She said, can you believe it? The idiot called back. Get it? Called back. Okay. All that to say... 
it seems to me that there are people in the church today that are preoccupied as well. We've lost in many ways our focus and we've missed our, what our priorities ought to be. It seems that many in the church have forgotten that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That it's all about Jesus. Thus Paul's letter to Titus. You may remember that Paul had left Titus in Crete to set in order some things that were lacking there in the church. Uh, there were some things that were in disarray that needed to be organized. And one of the things that needed to take place was the appointing of elders within the various local churches that were there. And in chapter 1, Paul dealt with the qualifications of the elders that they're to possess and expectations uh, that the elders are to uphold. How they're to keep order within the church. How they're to maintain their spiritual integrity of the body. And if, when necessary, being, uh, bring rebuke or, and or church discipline and the lives of those who are out of order as to stir them to repentance, to get them on the right track. Well, now we come to chapter 2, and Paul has given to us the qualities of a sound church, and, and whether you're a father or mother or, or older or younger, male or female, single or married, Paul's words to Titus will help us become a stronger body of believers. If you're taking notes, I've divided this chapter into three sections. All have to do with our responsibilities as a part of God's church. And that is the responsibility, number one, of the pastor in the church. Number two, the person in the church. And number three, the people in the church. Let's start with the pastor in the church, number one. Look at verse one. Paul writes, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Okay, Timothy, I'm talking to you first and foremost. Paul says, says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to speak those things that are proper for sound doctrine. That's pretty clear. I don't think you can get any clearer than that. So he's contrasting the false teachers that were out there. Paul is saying, Titus, you need to stay true to the word. You don't deviate. You don't compromise. And I want you to live your life in such a way that it will reflect the truth that you teach out of God's word. In other words, as you continue to teach sound doctrine, live what you teach. Your doctrine should, and belief should affect you in the way that you live. Now, that word for doctrine, we've looked at before, it literally means teaching. But when you put the word sound in front of it, the, the, the word sound, it's a medical term, and it means healthy or life-giving. So it's healthy or life-giving teaching. With that said, there are those who, who say, well, you know, they don't know much about doctrine, you know. They, they don't, you know, they don't really know what the Bible teaches on certain subjects. But, but, they, but they love the Lord. I mean, they're, they're passionate about their faith in Jesus Christ. You might hear someone like that say, well, I, I don't like to just, just bicker over, over doctrine. I, I just love Jesus. I, I just love Jesus. And that sounds sweet. But you also need to know that it's a dangerous statement. Scripture clearly teaches in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that in the last days there will come a time when men will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Times that Paul are speaking about, they're here. Today, people, they don't want to hear sound doctrine. They have itching ears. A literal translation would be an itch for novelty. They'll chase after the wrong things. That's why doctrine is so important. But sadly, we are seeing more and more in churches where they're saying, well, doctrine is boring. Doctrine divides. We don't want to get into that. We just want to hear nice little sermonettes for Christianettes about love, love, love. That's what we want to hear. Listen, I'm all for sermons about love. 
In fact, there's great, no greater love than this, that Christ would lay down his life for you and for me. That's a doctrine of redemption. There's no greater love than this, that God chose you before the foundation of the world, that you would know him and love him. That's a doctrine of election. There's no greater love than Jesus who became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. That's the doctrine of propitiation. See, the bottom line is that pastor of the church needs to teach sound doctrine, solid doctrine. And if a pastor's not teaching it, then he's failing in his responsibilities of a pastor. But more than that, he needs to be, be living it, practicing what he preaches. So again, Paul is saying to Titus, uh, as a pastor, live your life in such a way that it will reflect the truths of the Word of God. Now this brings us to point number two, the responsibility of the individual person within the church. That is, each one of us individually. Now Paul's going to break that down for us as to not miss anyone in verses 2 through 10. Five different groups that you find within the church. Old men, old women, young women, young men, and employees. I think that covers all of us. Now Paul begins with the older men in verse 2. That would be anyone older than 58, almost 59 years old. And I'll let you go next year, next year, a little bit higher. I mean, at each age, at each age I change, it's going to change with me. And so, but look at, look at verse 2. Paul says, I have six words for you. He says to Titus in verse 2, that the older man be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, and love, and patience. Now, the older man here is not speaking of the elders in the church, the overseers, you know, spiritually, but, 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 but the older in the sense of physical age and maturity. And Paul starts off right off the bat. He says, you men, you need to be sober. Sober means, you know, that you're not given to wine, but extends it to mean careful, to be careful in all areas of life and of conduct. In other words, we're not to be a slave to our appetites. Whether he's eating, drinking, sleeping, spending money, he keeps a firm hand on his desires and his drives. And then he goes on, Paul says, you're to be reverent. Maybe your Bible says grave. Maybe that's better because it gives a true sense of what's ahead. I don't know, the grave. But, But actually the word reverent means respectable. Now that doesn't mean that the older men can never smile or laugh or crack a joke or have fun. I find that the older you get, the, the bigger this, your sense of humor becomes. In fact, I found a list of texting abbreviations that have been made just for those who are older. You know, like LOL, you know, you text someone laughing out loud. Well, these are, are some for, for those of us that are older. This one, BFF, best friends forever. No, no, best friend fainted. Okay, that's that one. BYOT, you bring your own teeth. Texting. CBM, covered by Medicare. Okay. How about this one? FWB, friend with beta blockers. I can relate to that one. How about this one? LMDO, laughing my dentures out. Last one. GGPBL, gotta go, pacemaker battery low. I think the older you get, the bigger your sense of humor becomes. But you see, your sense of humor will reflect your respectability. It'll be one of purity, not of some dirty old man telling dirty jokes. Respectability is how you act and how you conduct yourself in your relationship with other people. It means that you're to be an example of what it means to live a pure life, a life set apart for God, a holy life. 
you've walked with the Lord for a long time. You have a testimony of being faithful to the Lord. And, and you continue to demonstrate what it means to be sound in the faith, in love, and in patience throughout the seasons of life. That's why Paul goes on to say in verse 2, you're to be temperate, sound in faith, in love, and impatient. In patience. Not impatient. In patience. Temperate means that they have self-control and sound in the faith. There's that, that same word for sound again. A medical term meaning healthy. You're healthy in the faith. Paul was saying, yeah, physical health is okay, but man, it's better to be spiritually healthy, especially the older you get. And then he adds, your love and your patience should be an example to all. I think sometimes as we get older, you know, for some of us, the senior saints, to be patient with the younger generations can be difficult at times, you know, and sometimes the other way around, you know, you kind of look at the, the millennials, and, oh, my day, you know, we never had to do this, oh, you know, it's, oh, you know, whippersnapper, you know, I, you know, we need to be patient, we have, because here's the thing, God has given us things to impart to them, and to minister to them, and in the same way, they need to be patient with us, and older people, and, and, and be able to receive back and forth. It's interesting, you know, uh, uh, the, the, that God here gives instruction for the older men because a lot of churches, you know, they're, they're, they're just always gearing towards the youth. Oh, we don't want the old, old people. We want, we want the youth. I heard of a pastor that told Warren Wearsby he only wanted a church full of young people, to which Warren said, be careful, you're going to be an old person one day too. Listen, I want a congregation of, of young and old and everything in between. We need all ages in the church. And I thank God for the older saints in our congregation. And they ought to minister to the youth. And you should minister to them. And they ought to have fellowship together. There should be no generation gap within the church. The older should train the younger. And the younger should help out the older. Serving one another in the family of God. Wonderful, what a wonderful thing that is. Well then Paul now moves from the older men in verse 2 to verse 3 and the older women. Now you decide how old that is. I'm not going to touch that one with a 10-foot pole. But look at verse 3. Paul starts with the older woman and he says, likewise. Likewise, meaning the same things that we just read in in verse 2 are the same necessary qualities in the godly older woman as well. Yet Paul adds a few more things to the list. Four things right off the top they are to be in verse 3 and seven things they are to do in verses 4, 5, and 6. Look at verse 3. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. So he starts off with the older women in the fellowship, you're to be reverent in behavior. If you have an old King James Bible, it might say behavior as becometh holiness. In other words, your life is to reflect a life that has been set apart, holy and pure. And the first thing that would, would mark that would be what you say. He says, uh, not slanderers. So what comes out of your mouth? What you post on Facebook? What you phone someone or text someone about someone else? That is why Paul says, Titus, teach the other woman not to be slanderers. Actually, that word slander is a word for she-devils. It can also be translated accuser. Now, that Greek word is used some 34 times in the New Testament as a title for Satan, who Jesus called the father of all lies, the accuser of the brethren. See, we're talking about gossiping here. We're talking about sowing discord. We're talking about spreading lies and unsubstantiated facts about someone that would damage their integrity or place them into question. The point is, when we engage on the level of speaking ill of someone, 
as to slander them or to accuse them of wicked things, then we're allowing ourselves to become an instrument of Satan, an accuser of the brethren. And that's not something that should be marked as, as a Christian man or woman. Solomon put it this way in Proverbs 18, verses 6-8, A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is, is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the most inmost body. Proverbs 18, 6-8. We're told in Psalm 15, verse 1-3, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart, he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up reproach against his friend. If you want to walk in the Spirit, you want to be close to the Lord, then you're not going to backbite with your tongue, you're not going to uh, you know, take up a reproach against your friend. So Paul is saying to the older woman to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, and I would say that goes for us men as well. We're just as capable of, of, of gossiping and slandering as well, not just for the ladies. Well, it goes on in verse 3, that the older women are to not be given too much wine, teachers of good things. I know that for some, alcohol can be a real temptation for later on in life when things start to slow down. But Paul is saying, listen, don't go hit in a bottle, okay? Instead, you have much to do. There's much usefulness left for you to do while God has you on this earth. And he says here, they're to be teachers of good things. Well, what are the good things? Well, in verse 4, there's seven good things for you to do if you're an older woman. Because this brings us to our next group in the church, that of the younger woman. Look at verse 4. Paul says, of the older women, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Now, when it came to teaching, Titus was instructed by Paul, we just read, to instruct the older men, the, the older women, and we'll see in a moment the young man, but when it comes to the young women in the church, notice that Paul says, Titus, you let the older woman take care of them. There's a good reason for that. Paul is setting up some safeguards here for Titus. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that that young woman were barred from listening to Titus teach. It simply means that, that it was wrong and dangerous for Titus to make the young woman a focus of his ministry. It's like the young single guy saying, God has called me to teach a Bible study to all the young single girls in the church. Yeah, right. doesn't work that way, okay? Paul is saying there's a young woman's Bible study group. Titus, you shouldn't teach it. It's not as if young women couldn't come to a Bible study with other believers, young and old alike, but that Titus was to be careful as to not put himself in that place where he may compromise his walk with the Lord. And that's real important. For us as, as men especially. Don't put yourself in a place where you may compromise your walk with the Lord. Let the ladies counsel ladies. Let the men counsel men. Last thing you want to do is be counseling some guy, counseling some woman one-on-one -on -one, uh, who's going through a divorce or something like that. This is a path towards destruction. It just makes good uh, uh, godly accountability and blamelessness and it gives no opportunity for the enemy to come in and set a snare. That's why Paul is saying here that the old women are to teach the young women. Now what are they to teach the young women? Well, he says there, to love their husbands and to love their children. And I think, well, that, that's a no-brainer. I mean, so, so teach the, the younger women to, to, to do that. But really what Paul is saying is that the older ladies are to teach the younger moms and the wives the importance of respecting her husband's leadership within the home. It means teaching them how important it is to help them make those major decisions that they have to make as a family relationship. 
It means keeping the house clean. It means keeping the, you know, living within your means. It means forgiving him promptly. It means not holding a grudge. It, it means not criticizing him. It means supporting him and making sacrifices for him. That's, that's loving him. Now, we recognize that's not an easy thing to do, but the older women are instructed to be that godly example for the younger women and to teach them and to help them. And the younger women are to have the, the, the hearts open to receive that teaching. Also, it says here to admonish the young women in verse 4 to love their children. Well, how do you love your children? Well, by spending time with them, by reading to them, by praying with them, by disciplining them. You see, you probably love your husband, and you, you certainly love your kids. So, so why then, though, does Paul admonish you to love your husband and your kids? Well, I think here's, we, have, we have to look at this thing in the context of what Paul is saying here. I think Paul is saying that, that teaching the, the women to be domestic. You know, that word is almost an evil word in our society today. Ooh, domestic. Ooh, Mufasa. You know, ooh, say it again. Domestic. Ooh, get chills. But that's what Paul is saying here. That the younger women are to learn from the older women how, in verse 5, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. That's that word, homemakers. That's another evil word in our society. Homemakers. Ooh, Mufasa. Paul is instructing this to the older women to teach the younger women because he knows that often wives and mothers, they face an incredible, lonely, and often discouraging task with very little external rewards. Add to that the personal pressures and, and, and the financial pressures of our society and you have a situation in which the women need to be encouraged to go on showing their love for their husband, go on showing their love for their children, and stay, staying home and fulfilling their domestic responsibilities and to not get discouraged. So I'm firmly convinced that this is the best teaching for the younger women, for the younger moms, that the older women are to teach the younger women how to be keepers of their homes. Lovers of their kids and husbands. How to be good homemakers. Now I know that there's, there's exceptions out there for some moms. They have to go outside the home to work. And there are certain situations where it's not a big deal. Your kids are all grown up or, or in school while you work or you have no children. But the sad thing is that the, in our society they've degraded the stay-at-home mom so much that it's almost like, like, like you, you, you're, you know, something's wrong with you. They've stripped away the God-given role of the wife and the mom and redefined it. And they've gone so far as to push the mentality that if you're a stay-at-home mom and and you work to keep your house up to tend to children to fix your meals and and, and all that, you're nothing more than free labor. I read a definition, definition of a housewife. It goes like this. A housewife is someone who spends seven days a week scrubbing the floors, shopping for food, cooking the meals, washing the dishes, watering the lawn, weeding the garden, walking the dog, and being a valet, maid, and chauffeur for the kids. But that isn't what hurts. It's when someone asks her husband, does your wife work? And he says, nope. Is it any coincidence that as humanity gets more and more sinful, few, sinful fewer and fewer uh, women see the value of being a homemaker? Listen, that job may not earn a paycheck, but it's being an, an, an office manager, a teacher, a doctor, a chef, a counselor, and a thousand other things. And if you're a stay-at-home mom, I applaud you. I know there's no way that I could have done what I have done for so many years if it weren't for my wife staying home with the kids. And I have, have the utmost respect for any woman who has a godly desire to be a homemaker. And I know that you can be a good homemaker and still work outside the home. But it's a lot harder. So I would just say... Hang in there, moms. You're doing a great job. 
Listen, I saw it in your kids last week that came to VBS. Those kids, they are so special. And just to see the joy of the Lord in their faces and as you minister to them and seeing them worshiping the Lord. I mean, you don't get that from just coming once a week to church. That's come from, from you guys raising these kids to love the Lord Jesus. And it was so evident. And it just blessed me amazingly this last week. Well, Paul goes on in verse 5 and says to the older women or to teach the younger women. He says to be obedient to their own husbands. There's another Mufasa word. Obedient, you know. If you've never seen The Lion King, you'll have to see it to understand the Mufasa the term there. But, but it's, it's just one of the things that, oh, you know, obedient to, to my husband. Uh, wait a minute. That really all that is is another word for submission. Now we're told first and foremost in Ephesians 5.21 that we're to submit one to another in the fear of God. So before any submitting that goes along goes on, we're submitting ourselves to the Lord. But when it comes to the leadership within the home and allowing the husband to lead as God has called him to, the Lord has set it up that the wife should be in submission to her husband. Now, that's not always an easy thing to do, granted, but yet it demonstrates your love for God when you submit to your husband. It it demonstrates the life of Jesus Christ in you when you submit willingly in order to bring honor to the Lord, to submit to Him as God has called you to do. Now, no way does that imply that a husband is superior to his wife, nor does it ever give him the right to dictate, abuse, or bully. A husband's leadership in the home is to be characterized by the self-giving love that, that Christ, the way that Christ led the church, were to love our wives. And just as the church is subject to Christ and accepts uh, his leadership, so a wife is to be subject to her husband or obedient to her husband's leading. Why? Well, Paul says it in verse 5. So that the word of God may not be blasphemed. I think one of the saddest byproducts of, of the failure of a Christian wife, really, or of a Christian husband, is that it gives the occasion for the enemies of God to find fault with Christianity and to blaspheme God. I think of when David sinned against uh, Bathsheba and, and Nathan the prophet came to him and confronted him with a sin, rebuked him for him. And, and this is what Nathan said in Second Samuel twelve fourteen: By this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. So important that we pay attention to the way that we live, that that... that especially in our homes around us, that we're not giving our neighbors, our non-Christian neighbors, uh, the, the uh, you know, the, the occasion to blaspheme, to come against the Lord, to come against our Christianity. I mean, if your neighbors are, you know, are hearing you arguing with your wife or your husband three doors down, it kind of makes it hard to witness to them. Hey, come on over. We're going to have a marriage study. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, it's kind of hard. You're supposed to be Christians. See, when we blow our witness, we've given them a cause of blaspheme. So we shouldn't blow our witness. So a word to the older men, a word to the older women, a word to the younger women. And now Paul turns his attention to the younger men. And that would be anyone 58, almost 59 and younger. Just kidding. All right. Look at what Paul says in verse 6. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. There, there's that word sober-minded again. Remember, it's not given to wine, but more than that, it's, it's to keep our minds clear. To not allow anything to come into our, us that, that's going to cause our mind to be fuzzy, to not think clearly, to not be able to hear from the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, stay away from anything that's going to do that to you. Rather, he says, look at verse 7, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, and doctrine, showing integrity, Reverence, incorruptibility, 
sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. I think that's a hard one for young men. You know, Paul wrote this to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. In other words, let your, your conversation reveal the fact that you are a child of God. That you love the Lord. That, that by the way you talk, by the things that you say, they're going to go, wow, man, he really loves the Lord. And Paul goes on in verse 7, have sound speech, he says, so that, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Listen, no matter what, as a Christian, people are going to speak evil of you. It's going to happen. They're going to oppose you no matter what. We're just not to give them an opportunity to, to make it easy for them or, or to, uh, to, you know, for them to have any credence or weight into what they say about us because it will just simply not be true. We're not to give them more fuel for the fire or reason for them to speak evil of us. We just need to live our lives of purity, pure speech, words, only necessary for edification to impart grace to the hearers. Now finally, this last group of people that Paul addresses is the slaves and masters, but in our time, it would be employees or employers. Look at verse 9. He says, Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that, may, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior and all things. So since slavery has been outlawed in the United States for a long time, this would then again speak to us more on the employee-employer relationship. So Paul is saying to Titus, Titus, you need to teach the church that when it comes to their jobs in life, their work, they need to be especially a good witness at work. Listen, if you're, you know, mouthing off at your boss, or you're talking about him or her behind their back or under your breath, if you're engaging in negative conversation around the break room, you know, about your boss or supervisor, you know what, you're being a bad witness. Another bad witness, if you're taking pencils or paper clips or taking something because you have that attitude, well, I've earned it and I deserve it. And listen, Paul calls that pilfering. And the church is supposed to be taught not to, to pilfer. Because pilfering actually means stealing. You know that, that every year billions of dollars are lost due to employee theft and fraud. I think one of the most uh, common forms of employee theft is time, using company time to, con- to conduct personal business. Consider this. I read this, this poll. Uh, the average employee steals four hours and five minutes every week according to the American Payroll Association. So it's shocking, but it's also consistent with another poll conducted which found that employees lose about 4.5 hours per week per employee. In fact, three, in fact, three out of four employees will steal something. Products, intellectual property, work time, you name it from their employers according to a study by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. The study concluded that U.S. employees lost 20 to $40 billion as a result of employee theft in 2012 and that 75% of the thieves will never be caught. Paul is saying that as a believer, as, as someone that loves the Lord, you don't take part in those things. You give your employer an honest day's work and, and they'll give you an honest day's pay. Because when you do, listen, you're being a good witness. Paul says, when you do that in verse 10, you adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, and all things. Listen, the gospel is much more appealing to the non-believer when you're working hard, you're being honest, and, and 
rather than when you're, you know, acting like everyone else and always griping about the boss and griping about work and everything else. So how do we do all of this? I mean, Paul, he spoke to every one of us here. How do we do all this? How do we speak the things that are proper for sound doctrine, reverent, temperate, sound in faith and love, patient, not slanderers, not given to wine? How can the young women love their husbands and, and love their children and be discreet and chaste and homemakers and good and obedient to their husbands? And how can the young men be men of integrity, sound speech? How can we be good employees? It's only by the grace of God. And that's what Paul concludes here in our final point in the people in the church. And that is the responsibility of the church as a whole. Look at verse 11 and 12. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. It's just not our own strength. We can't do these things in our own strength. We need the grace of God, relying on the grace of God to live soberly to live righteously, to live godly in this present age. That's how it's possible. Not relying on our own plans, our own abilities, but relying on God's grace, the grace of God. Listen, it's a powerful force in the life of a believer. As Paul puts it in verse 12, it teaches us to to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. See, we're saved by grace. That's the initial change that God does in our life. But then it enables us to truly live our lives each and every day by God's grace. Because left to ourselves, we're no match for sin. We would fall quicker than the rain has fallen in this recent thunderstorm. Apart from the powerful influence of God's grace in our lives, we'd all find ourselves constantly saying yes instead of no and yielding to all kinds of temptations. It's only by the grace of God that we're able to renounce such behavior and instead age uh, and instead live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age in which verse 13 tells us look at verse 13 as we look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great god and savior jesus christ i love that verse paul calls it a blessed hope that word blessed means happy or beneficial i love that because when the lord's return it's going to be beneficial and i'm going to be so happy Jesus' return will be amazing. The, the joyful experience for the believer in Christ is going to be absolutely wonderful. We're going to be blessed beyond measure. Why? Because the trials in this life will finally be over. And we'll see that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the, with the glory that's revealed in us. See, this word for hope there in verse 13 doesn't mean uncertainty. It doesn't mean, well, I hope this is going to happen. Rather, it's a glad assurance that something will take place. Jesus is our hope, and he's returning very soon. No one can take that hope away from us. And then I love that Paul adds once again the deity of Jesus Christ, that he says that he is our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, he's the one that, that we're living for. And then he goes on to, to describe him in verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Paul is saying, man, this is what Jesus Christ has done for you. He gave himself for you. He gave himself for me to redeem us from death and from sin. And he's called us his own special people. He called us to be set apart from the world. So in turn, we need to live for him in all holiness and all purity. Whether we fit in the older men category or the younger men or the older woman or the young woman or the employee and all that we do, God has called us to a higher standard. 
to live pure lives and to live as an example of what a pure life looks like to others. Now, I know it's not easy. It's not easy to live a pure life, but it's not impossible. We go by the grace of God, but it also begins with another word that we looked at already. It's called submit. We all have to submit. See, if you want to live as an example of purity, if you want to set a pattern for your life, for others to follow, for people to see your commitment to, to, to love and the Lord Jesus Christ, then it requires that we submit to the Lord each and every day of our lives. Not just the one time when we commit our life to the Lord. Every day, every morning before you get out of bed, pray and submit your life over to the Lord Jesus. To say, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you this morning again. Use me as you see fit. Lord, use me on the job. Use me in this world, in this society. Help me to lead by the example, Lord, of what it means to be a Christian. Lord, help me to be zealous for good works, as Paul says here. Listen to verse 14 in the New Living Translation. I like that. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. I like that. God gave us, God saved us, redeemed us from this world, redeemed us from death and sin. Not so he can just take us to heaven right away. No, he has a job for us to do on this earth, to share the gospel, the, the zealous for good works. This is what we're called to do. And that's what people need to see in us. Then finally, finally, Paul wraps it up. Look at verse 15 by saying, Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Again, I like verse 15 in the New Living Translation. We'll read it and then we'll close and enter into a time of communion. He says, You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. I love that. Titus, you're the pastor in the church. You know, you need to do these things, but you also need to encourage your church to do these things. You have the authority to share these things. God had given him that authority. Paul gave the same challenge to Timothy. Listen, no one can lead properly without authority. And even though there are people today who will attempt to bypass authority, the pastor's authority is the Word of God. That's what he stands on. The pastor is to preach the Word of God with authority. He's to teach the Bible as if God's speaking when he clearly expounds what God has said. And then when the Word of God speaks into your life, then obedience must follow. That's why Paul is saying, correct, rebuke, encourage, exhort the believers that God has placed you overseers of. And don't let anyone disregard what you say. And I shared this verse last Sunday as well, and it fits in here as well. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So, we've looked at what God has called us to do. We've been clearly taught. Now we just have to go and do what God has taught us to do. And we're going to close and enter into time of communion. Communion is a time to look back and remember what verse 14 had just said, that Jesus Christ gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us his very own special people. God has redeemed us as believers. We're his special people. Communion is for his people. And if you're not giving your life to Jesus Christ this morning, then no, communion is not for you. It, you know, uh, I would encourage you to give your life to him right now, right, right this moment. You surrender your life to him. Find the forgiveness of your sin and receive communion with us. 
because that's what it's for. But it's also the reason of this is to, to remind us what Jesus did for us. He took all of our sin, all of our wrongdoing, all of the things that we've done uh, or will do, put it upon himself to cleanse us and forgive us. What an awesome thing to remember just what Christ has done for us. So now as we enter into time of communion, we need to examine our hearts. If there's anything there that we need to confess to the Lord and things that we've looked over in this study. I think all the categories, it covers all of us, not just the older men, older women, all these things we, we need to implement in our lives. And maybe we recognize that, you know, I've not been doing that. I've not been loving my husband. I've not been loving my children. I've not been, you know, loving my wife as I should love my wife as Christ loved the church. I've been kind of pilfering at work. I've been not, not living to, you know, where God's called me to. Lord, I'm sorry for that. We find forgiveness. We find that cleansing power of Jesus Christ as we come to the communion table and remember just what God did for us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for your word because we recognize that as your word is taught, your Holy Spirit moves in each one of us individually, Lord, to point out those areas in our lives, Lord, that we need to confess to you, Lord, that we need to surrender to you, Lord God. And I pray if there's any areas in our lives that we've not surrendered to you this morning, Lord, we, that we do it now, Lord. That we, we examine our hearts, Lord, and we just, Lord, uh, open up our hearts before you. Search our hearts, Lord, we pray. Lord, show us if there's any wicked ways in us. Lead us in the way of salvation. So, Father, we thank you for this time of communion. We pray your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.